Hello again, Wax and Wainers. Thanks for being here. I am Matt Carlson. I am your host for this episode 006 of the Wax and Wayne podcast, something that we've started to um, not so humbly refer to as the Wax Cast, which sounds like a, a way to make a dildo. Um, we're not making any dildos on this program. I'm just going to be a dildo and we're going to we're going to talk about vinyl. Um, if this is your first time here, welcome. It is a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm not sure how you found us, but thank you. We we love new listeners. Hopefully you're uh, excited about vinyl, because if you're not, you're probably going to be bored off your fucking gourd for the next 60 minutes or so. If you've been with us before, an even larger thank you for putting up with me more than one time. I can't tell you how much I appreciate all the support we've been getting. Um, I know I mention every week that we're building this thing, listener by listener, reader by reader, uh, eyeballs in, in, in ear holes, one at a time, two at a time, whatever it takes. Um, but we are really starting to see this thing grow, and I'm seeing you guys share this with your friends and other vinyl geeks in your life, and I, I just want to say thank you. And please, do it more. <laughs> this is the only way we're going to spread the word about this thing, and I so, so greatly appreciate your support so far. And we've 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 had a lot of new listeners chime in in the last couple of weeks. A lot of people have seen the blog for the very first time this week, and we'll talk more about that a little bit later in the program. But um, it, again, it's just a real treat to be able to do this for you, to have an audience, to have some readers who are excited about vinyl, who are excited about records, who are excited about music. If you're not a vinyl lover yet, and you're a music lover, I want you to come in. I want you to. I don't know what it's like where you are, but I'm in Michigan and we've got a bunch of snow already, even though it's not even Thanksgiving and it's colder than fuck. And um, I want you to to pour yourself a nice a nice hot toddy and uh, put a sweater on, put on your slippers, sit on the couch there and enjoy yourself and just, you know, snuggle up with us. Now, hopefully, as you, you know, previous listeners know, I mean this all figuratively, not literally, because if you're home right now, what should you be doing? That's right. You should be spinning a record. If you're out on the road, if you're walking the dog in this god-awful fucking weather or doing whatever it is that you do, be listening to our podcast. That's fine if you want to, you know, fill me in your little ear holes with that. But if you're home, I hope you're listening to vinyl. Um, Let's just jump right into it, man. I had a big fucking week. Um, Last Friday, I snuck out of work a little bit early and my uh, 16-year-old daughter and I took a trip about 45 minutes west of my house to a lovely city called Grand Rapids, and we had a nice uh, late lunch, and then we went record shopping. And I had a pretty serious uh, budget this time around. I, I kind of went a little nuts. Um, I actually wound up dropping maybe as much money as I've ever spent on one shopping trip before, which is kind of saying something. Um, but I had some funny money that that had kind of I'd kind of come into, and and I really had a, just a shit ton of records I wanted to get, and so I went I went nuts and I bought. There was one thing that she wanted. Uh, she wanted a record by this band called Cult, who we saw this summer when we saw them open for Vampire Weekend, and she really digs them. And I was happy to do that just for her tagging along. And that was really all she needed. I, on the other hand, bought 15 records. All of them were new. Some of them are new, new. Some of them are just reissues. Um, in fact, the vast majority of them are just reissues. But they're new. And so you... Vinyl lovers and record buyers know that I'm talking about a lot of money. I spent something like $300 this weekend, which I almost feel a little guilty about. 
But now I'm just thinking, you know, hey, man, I'll just tell the IRS that I'm trying to do this show for money and I'll just write my $300 purchase off. Can you do that? Do we have any vinyl loving accountants out there who can email me some advice? Um, I'm really I'm kind of kidding. But hey, if you've got a way for me to get a tax break on that $300 purchase, please send it along to uh, waxedandwaned at gmail.com. So let me just kind of run through real quickly for you the stuff that I got. I went to a shop called Vertigo, which is right in downtown Grand Rapids on Division Street, for those of you who are Michiganders or Midwesterners. And I'm going to be doing a profile on them here in the next few weeks. I'm going to do an interview with Herm, who is the owner of Vertigo Records, and I took some really sweet photos. And we're going to be doing a full write-up and hopefully a podcast interview over the next uh, couple of months, I hope. That's kind of the schedule on that deal. So... Be sure to keep an eye out for that here in the next few weeks. Um, but I went nuts, man. I just went, I went fucking crazy. So let's just go through them real quick. The first thing that I've got here is this uh, this record. It's a three-record set called Archive from 1959, The Billy Childish Story. And for those of you who are not familiar with Billy Childish, he's kind of this, um, he's an English dude, and he has been in a million bands at which he is always the center and they're usually these kind of rough and tumble sort of, I wouldn't really call them punk outfits, but they're kind of like garage bands done in sort of a, a, a slightly uh, loosey-goosey kind of rough-edged sort of way. Um, they're often three pieces. And just to kind of name off some of the bands he's been involved in, he's been in, you know, the Headcoats, um, the uh, Mighty Caesars, the Milkshakes, the MBEs. He's appeared uh, under his own name. Um, he's done some stuff as the pop rivets and, uh, just a whole, the buff medways. I mean, he's got a bunch of different like nom de plumes. He's kind of like the English punk version of Will Oldham in that he seems in not musically at all, but just in the sense that he's constantly kind of reinventing himself. You know, he's been making music for 30 years and he's been in probably 10 different bands and used his own name to record. And he just kind of always seems to be sort of going and churning stuff out and he's a really cool dude and I've only listened to a little bit of this comp because it's six sides but it's so good and it's basically this thing that sort of spans his whole career up through about 2009 it sounds great this actually came out in 09 is when this this uh this thing was released and it just the pressing is really nice um you know some of the source material on this is real like I said it's real kind of rough shot and lo-fi and um but it just sounds great, and it's it's such a wonderful thing to have on vinyl. Um, I love it. So that's uh, Archive from 1959, The Billy Childish Story. The second thing I got was the Four Men with Beards reissue of the Fleming Groovies' Shake Some Action, their 1976 LP, which features the title track, Shake Some Action, which I, I tell you right now, unashamedly, is one of the greatest songs in the history of rock and roll music. If you are not familiar with this, you need to get it on YouTube and find it and listen to it preferably 10 or 12 or 15 times in a row. If you have a roommate or a family member or a spouse or a parent or somebody, once you've driven them nuts with it, you've listened to it enough times to understand how fucking gorgeous and genius it is. Um, the pressing of this is pretty good. I've only listened to side one, admittedly. Um, I know a lot of you out there are going to have some issues with four men with beards. Um, most of the pressings that I have are great. Uh, I've heard a couple that other people have that are, eh, you know, but that's more difficult because it's not my system and I can't tell what's their setup versus what is the pressing itself. Um, but by and large, I've had pretty good luck with the four men with beard stuff 
And this is a really great record. Again, if you're into power pop, if you're into kind of straight ahead, um, bar band rock and roll, uh, there's a little bit of a blues influence. There's some real like, uh, sort of like modest psychedelic overtones on this in a couple of spots. It's just a record that I love, love, love. Uh, it's called Flaming Groovies, uh, Shake Some Action, and that's the uh, Four Men with Beards pressing, which came out just uh, within the last few years. I also got, speaking of Will Oldham, a Bonnie Prince Billy record, which I really like. I just have never had it on vinyl. Um, it is called The Letting Go, and um, this is a record that came out back in 06, and it's got some great songs like Cursed Sleep and Lay in Love and Love Comes to Me. If you're a Will Oldham fan, you already know what I'm talking about. If you're not... Um, you should at least go check the dude out. I realize he's kind of an acquired taste, um, but, you know, go see. Uh, speaking of prolific motherfuckers, um, I have what is probably going to wind up being the final Guided by Voices record. It's called Cool Planet. Um, it was released earlier this year. I believe it's the third GBV record to come out in 2014. I could be wrong about that. You, you literally need to have, like, a fucking app to keep up with these guys. It's it's insane. I mean, they're going to wind up putting records out after they're done, probably. I mean, they, they broke up a couple of months ago. Um, as I mentioned before in this program, I talked about the Beer Thousand thing last week. Uh, this is a record called Cool Planet. It's got a great song on it um, called Bad Love is Easy to Do. It's got another one on it that is, a, uh, that is the title track, Cool Planet. And I just... There's a bunch of really great songs on this record... Guided by Voices fans know what I'm talking about. Um, other people don't have a clue. I will put it this way, and I will leave it in the in the words of the almighty Ray Davies of the Kinks. Every time I want to listen to a Beatles record, I put on Guided by Voices. It's good enough for me. It's good enough for you. Let's move on. The next one I have is a repressing um, on Spoon Records of uh, uh, Iggy Bamyazi, which is a can record. Um, these are, this is a crazy German outfit who did like this psychedelic kind of semi blues infused, crazy kraut rock space thing. Um, I, it, you know what? I've only had this stuff for six days and I just haven't gotten to this one yet. I know I love this record. It's a nice heavy pressing. The artwork looks really good. I'm not going to say a lot cause I haven't actually listened to it yet, but I've got high, high, high hopes um, and I use high in quotation marks. Not that I would endorse that sort of behavior ever. Uh, the next one is a uh, Captured Tracks reissue of a compilation of the New Zealand outfit, The Bats. This is called Completely uh, Bats. And um, it's got a bunch of songs that were originally done as um, singles, EPs, and kind of uh, wayward tracks. Um, this is from, I think this was put together in 87 or 88. Um this is a great compilation. The first track made up in blue. If if you're not hooked by about 90 seconds into it, um, you're not going to be. This is just a really, it's just a really awesome, awesome record. Um, I know that really doesn't help you out. If you're into any of the, what they refer to as the Dunedin sound, it's a bunch of New Zealand bands like these guys, uh, the Clean, Toy Love, the Verlaines. Um, they were all part of this big scene that, that came about in the late 70s and early 80s. In um, in Dunedin, New Zealand, uh, and they were all kind of kind of wrapped around this uh, this label called Flying Nun. And if you really like um, kind of garagey Britpop stuff, um, and and maybe even some twee things, there's a lot to love here 
in the in the Flying Nun stuff. And Captured Tracks has has reissued a ton of this stuff. They just reissued two different releases by the Verlaines. There's another Bats thing um, or two that they've put out. They've done some stuff by the Clean. Um, I'm not sure if they're the ones who did the Toy Love reissue of a bunch of uh, tracks that they have, uh, which is a fa- there's a fantastic Toy Love single called Swimming Pool that I just love from like 82. Um, anyway, uh, it's called uh, Compiletely, like compilation and completely put together in a word that apparently I can't say, uh, Bats. And um, that one's on uh, that one's on uh, captured tracks, but it's actually originally released on Flying Nun. The next one I got another reissue because um, apparently I'm just buying reissues now, and I'm just supporting that behavior. Um, this is a, a record called Thirteen by Teenage Fan Club. Uh, I don't even know what to say about this. This is glorious Scottish power pop at its very fucking finest, and um, it is it is a beautiful. Beautiful thing. And I would highly recommend that if you are a Power Pop fan, if you are a Brit Pop fan, and you don't know what this is, you should go find it. If you do, you should just smile while I'm talking about it. If you don't have it on vinyl like I didn't until six days ago, you should go fix that problem. Um, it's a really nice pressing. The artwork looks really good. Um, it's it's pretty it's pretty badass. Uh, the next reissue I got, because again, apparently that's all I'm getting anymore... Uh, Matador, as I told you back, I think on the very first episode of the Waxcast, uh, Matador has recently reissued all of the uh, Bell and Sebastian titles on vinyl. And many of these had gone out of print and had gotten kind of pricey. And one of those that had gotten rather expensive was uh, a compilation record of singles and B-sides and a couple EPs that they had done called Push Barman to Open Old Wounds. And it is a three LP set. And I have this digitally, but I have never owned it on um, on vinyl. And uh, there are some real clunkers on here, but there are a ton of songs that I just love. So like this, the original version of The State I Am In from the Tiger Milk record, Photo Jenny, Lazy Line Painter Jane, uh, the, their, their Nom de Plume number, uh, Bell and Sebastian. Uh, this is just a modern rock song, Slow Graffiti. I'm waking up to us. Uh, there's just great, great stuff on here. This is terrific. Uh, it's funny. I didn't even mean to do this, but this is two Scottish bands right in a row. Um, this is just a, this is just a very, very solid, um, sort of straight up collection of uh, B sides, singles, uh, extra tracks. Um, it's just great, great stuff. The other thing that's kind of interesting about this, the the way that the packaging is done, it's a three LP set, and it kind of folds together. And when it folds together, it's actually about, I'm kind of looking at this right now, it's actually about a half or three quarters of an inch longer. The cover itself is is, is maybe 12 and a half or, or 12 and three quarters inches long. So it's actually longer than all of the other record covers I have. And because I just got it home, it's in my rack downstairs. I haven't actually taken it up and put it in the in the shelving unit upstairs on the on the second floor where my records are marooned. And I'm, I'm curious because this thing is going to stick... Out, I mean, it's not going to stick out of my shelving unit, but it's going to stick out past the other records. So that will be interesting. Um, for those of you who have been listening to me long enough, you know that I am an enormous REM fan. You know that I have a sickness for the Athens Georgia Quartet who called it quits a few years ago. And um, I, uh, I went out and immediately had to know whether or not uh, when I got to... When I got to Vertigo, there were three or four things I was looking for right off the bat. And one of them was 
um, the 1991 Unplugged session of R.E.M.'s performance on the MTV show. And um, I'm not crazy about the cover. I, I like the way that they tried to do it. It's basically designed to look like um, image stills from a VHS version of this. So the, the title card is like R.E.M. Unplugged 1991 on the front. And then in the background behind that text um, is the is the band playing. But, you know, it just it looks kind of hokey. I get what they're doing. I'm not so it's okay. I'm just not crazy about it. But but the stuff on the actual little magical black disc that spins is really, really good, save for the horrendously annoying radio song, which fortunately here does not have the KRS one interlude. KRS one is a perfectly nice dude and even made some good hip hop records. That's just a song that just not hold up well twenty three years later. Um so there's obviously a bunch of stuff on here from um uh out of time. Jesus, I almost spaced on the name of that record. I only listened to it 40,000 times when it came out. Um, uh, there's a bunch of stuff on uh, on Out of Time that's on here. So you get, you know, in addition to Radio Song, of course, you get Losing My Religion, but you get Low and uh, um, uh, Wow, Get Up. and oh No, Get Up's on uh, Green, isn't it? I'm looking at this. Okay, maybe there's not as many songs on Out of Time as I remember. Um, so I'm full of shit there. Um, but then you've also got a bunch of stuff that are on, um, you know, you've got, you get some of the, the hits, like it's the end of the world as we know it. And, um, world leader pretend swan, swan hummingbird, maybe my favorite performance on the whole thing, uh, would be uh, the second track, which is disturbance at the Heron house. Um, which I just think is, it's beautiful. Um, I've waxed and I've, I've waxed Jesus Christ. I can't again, you got a podcast. You can't talk. You're unbelievable. Um, moving on, the folks at Numero Group, who I have said so many nice things about in the past, just do an incredible job with this eccentric soul series that they have, and I picked up another one of these. It's never a bad investment, and they, um, for, uh, Numero, uh, 027, they put together a thing called Smarts Palace, which was a series of live recordings from a juke joint and R&B club in Wichita, Kansas. And most of these are from the 60s, and they do roll up through the early to mid-70s. Um, these are always done so well because there's a great story that's written in there. There's wonderful liner notes where they really give you a ton of context about the bands that are involved. It's super good. Um, if you like if you like R&B, if you like 60s soul, I highly recommend picking any of these up. I've never been disappointed. Get them from the Eccentric Soul series. You can probably find them at your local retailer, but you can also get them on the Numero site. It's numerogroup.com. Again, unsolicited plug. I just think they do such a tremendous job. And it's essentially like having these like sort of like slightly guided blind buys that cost you $18 or $20. And if you like this kind of thing, you're almost assured of being thrilled. Um, I'm going to wrap through these last few as quickly as I can, just simply because I'm taking a lot of fucking time. We're already at 19 minutes. Um, there is a reissue that came out on, uh, plain recordings and dedicated. I know another, another label with a really spotty history, but I've got a couple of these. I mean, I love the Red House Painters reissue of songs, um, songs from a blue guitar. And I've got the, uh, one of the Jesus and Mary chain reissues on plain. And I think those sound really good. Those are the only two that I own, but those are great. Those, those sound really solid. Those are good. Um, so I haven't listened to this yet, but this is a live record 
called uh, Spiritualized Fucked Up Inside, and this was done in 95 or 96, and it basically contains songs, excuse me, it's 93, it's even earlier than I thought. This contains songs that are mostly from the first Spiritualized record. Spiritualized, of course, is uh, Jay Spaceman from Spaceman 3, and um, if you love that kind of swirly, gospel-tinged uh, uh, space rock that he does... Um, this is a real tour de force performance. It's a great live recording, and the cover is super sweet. It's actually got some, um, it's got three effects pedals from a guitar rig that are done in like silver foil that are on the front of it, and I just think it's, I just think it's great. Uh, Slumberland, this this summer and fall, uh, reissued both of the full length LPs by uh, the Eilers set, who are a a twee band that I enjoy. And I picked up a copy of The Last Match, and I've listened to this, um, and it's great. This is from 2000, and it sounds like it was made a couple of years ago. It's fantastic. Um, sort of a partner piece to that is another Twee record from another Scottish band. This is a real theme. Uh, Camera Obscura. This was the only one of these I did not have of theirs on vinyl. It's called Underachievers. Please Try Harder. It's a re- these are two really, really good Twee records. Um the Camera Obscura record is is almost all female lead vocals from Tracy Ann Campbell, and the Eilers set is primarily female lead vocals. So if you're looking for, like, especially if you've got like teenage girls, um, and they and they want to get into, you know, maybe like that girl group thing. Both of those records are really infused with like '60s girl group and soul, like Shangri La's and the Supremes and Martha and the Vandellas and that kind of thing, but done in kind of like a 21st or 20th century context. Um, those are both really, really good records that I think are a lot deeper than just being straight ahead like twee uh, teenage records. I think they're really, I think they're really good. Um, here's one that I'm really excited about. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. It's uh, it's from the Cheap Rewards folks, and it's called Radio Ready Wisconsin. It is a compilation of power pop songs from just Wisconsin bands from 1979 to 1982. There are a couple of bands on this list who I have heard some stuff by them. Um, the Orbits. And, of course, The Shivers, and then a band called The Pop. So I'm really excited about that one. The cover is ugly. It's just not very good. I love you guys, Cheap Rewards. That's not a great cover. That's just my personal taste. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, And finally, and I listened to this one this afternoon before recording the podcast, so I'm pretty goddamn excited. The last one is Nobody's Darlings by Lucero. Um, They're a band from Memphis, Tennessee. They are, I think, one of the more underrated bands making music right now. Um, if you like old country, if you like bar bands, if you like good old fashioned rock and roll, if you like songs about heartbreak and loneliness and desperation, and you like them played really fucking well and really fucking loud, Lucero's probably the band for you. Um, so that's, that's kind of a not so brief recap of my haul from last weekend at Vertigo Records in Grand Rapids. I want to thank those nice folks for doing such an awesome job again. Be on the lookout. In the next few weeks, we're going to have a really big profile of that store, and we're working on more profiles for the future. I appreciate... Deep breath, Matt. I appreciate everybody's patience. Um, Those take a long time to put together. If you haven't had a chance yet, or if you're just finding the show, go on over to the blog at waxandwaynemusic.com, and you can check out their profile we did a few weeks ago for Satellite Records in Kalamazoo, and you can kind of see how these work and we're hoping to kind of build these up so they get a little more in depth and we're you know hopefully gonna gonna keep taking this thing with a wider and wider net so we're gonna do Kalamazoo I'm gonna try to do one or two here in Lansing I'm gonna do a couple in Grand Rapids we're gonna work our way over to Ann Arbor and Detroit and then eventually we're gonna try getting out of the state 
If you've got great stores where you are and you write well and you can take some decent photos, get a hold of me. Get a hold of me on Twitter. It's at waxandwaynemusic.com. Come find us on Facebook. Just search Wax and Wayne Music. Email us through the blog or send us an email at waxedandwaned at gmail.com. We're always looking for contributors, and I can't get everywhere in the country. And if you think you've got something to say about a shop in your area, good, bad, average, let me know. People seem to be really interested in this, and I know that I personally am really fascinated in it. So please get in touch with us and uh, let us know um, where you're shopping, what you think, and, and maybe, you know, maybe, maybe work to write a profile for us. We would, we would love to have you do that. So, uh, send us a message on one of those, uh, one of those avenues and we'll, uh, we'll get rolling. Um, let's jump into, there's not a ton of news this week that's vinyl related. Um, the first one is, um, Ride, who are a shoegaze band who I absolutely adored in the early nineties who put out three or four just wow sorts of records, specifically Nowhere and Going Blank Again. Those two are just, um, and the and the three EPs that they put out when they first started on Creation are just great. The, those records are amazing. Um, these guys were kind of contemporaries of uh, My Bloody Valentine and Slow Dive. In fact, I was fortunate enough, I think in 92, to see Slow Dive and Ride together at St. Andrews Hall in Detroit on the Going Blank Again tour, and it's one of, it was, I'm not shitting you, it's one of the finest live performances I have ever seen in, in my entire existence, and I've been to a ton of shows. Well, they have announced that they are getting back together. They have scheduled some dates for next fall in Europe, including the Primavera Festival and the Big Day Out in London, both happening next summer. And um, they're going to put out a record that's going to come out sometime in 2015, uh, they're writing that and recording it right now, and this is probably the tip of the iceberg. I would guess they're going to play a bunch of festival dates next summer. If I had to wager, I would suspect chances are pretty good you'd see them at uh, Coachella and or Bonnaroo. Um, those aren't really my bag, so I'm hoping that there's going to be a full-blown American tour, but keep your fingers crossed. If you're a shoegaze fan, I would think this would be pretty exciting, and knowing the dudes from Ride, I'd be surprised if that new record did not come out on vinyl. Uh, one other little bit bit of uh, new record news because it was kind of a light week on that front. As we get toward the holidays, this is going to happen. People are just going to wait. I mean, at this point, basically, the release schedule is taking us through January, and so there's going to be kind of a lull here between Thanksgiving and Christmas, where the news cycle really just kind of stops. So you're going to have to bear with me and just deal with more of my opinions and less news. But the other the other little tidbit of news we have this week is that uh, Will Butler, um, the uh, brother of Win Butler from Arcade Fire will be releasing his first uh, solo record. It's going to be called Policy. It is coming out on Merge Records, a label who I am a big fan of and have a great deal of admiration for. Uh, so it's coming out March 10th on Merge. And while they haven't really leaked any uh, files so far, um, with just a little bit of searching around the old inner tubes, I was able to find a number of uh, songs that he had performed live that are available on YouTube. Um, be warned, they they basically feel like kind of trimmed down solo versions of Arcade Fire songs, so if that's what you're excited about and into, you're going to be super happy. If you were looking for something a little different, you, you might get it, but from the videos that I've seen, I don't really know what to expect yet. But anyway, it's called Policy. It's Will Butler from Arcade Fire. comes out March 10th on Merge. 
The other two pieces of news from this week that I found pretty interesting for people who like physical media, music, and specifically vinyl, um, but most specifically music and physical media, is that um, Apple has not necessarily announced but acknowledged that when they update their operating system next spring, when they haven't announced an exact date, but when the iOS is updated and sent out, uh, the iOS will include Beats streaming service as a part of that update. Now, what does this mean? Well, in essence, what it means is that each update and each new Apple product will include the Beats player as a part of that operating system. So if you have an old iPhone or an older iPhone, or if you buy a new iMac or iPad or whatever, it's going those new products are just going to come with the Beats streaming service as a part of it. The older uh, technology, the older devices, when you update your iOS, Beats Player is going to be on there. Now, one of the things that I think that's really interesting about this is that Apple is doing this just a few weeks after the debacle with the U2 record. Um, when they basically shoved Songs of Innocence down people's throat, um, and we talked about this on the first episode, we talked about Bono's shitty apology and all that, when they shoved that down people's throat, people didn't like it. Now, I don't know if an app is necessarily different than um, a specific record that shows up in your cloud or shows up in your iTunes. I don't know how people are going to feel about that because they can choose to use that or not use that. And I don't know enough about this technology to, and, and the, way that, the way that people use it because I don't really use streaming services that way. I don't know if the people who are excited about streaming really care but in essence, the, the conventional wisdom is that what, Be what Beats and Apple are going to do is they're going to put this in, in their iOS, and it's going to be on, in a, in a fairly brief period of time, virtually every Apple device that is out there. And when that happens, I'm sure they're going to give those people some sort of a trial. And then there's going to be a subscription to continue to use that. So, theoretically, and again, there are no details announced yet, but theoretically, for the sake of argument, let's just say... They're going to give iOS users 30 or 60 or 90 days of Beats music as a streaming service to compete, obviously, with Spotify, and I think to try to kind of make up for the lack of excitement about iTunes radio. Now, what I found really interesting as I was researching the information for this, because I've read several articles and kind of looked at different facets of the deal and what people were expecting, was that there's obviously there's, there's a lot of concern in the music community about what Apple's going to do in terms of payment. We've talked on this program before about Spotify and their, A, their war with Taylor Swift, which took a turn this week, which I won't get into because we don't really have time, but you should read Billy Bragg's essay on this. It's really good. He's got a lot of interesting things to say, as usual. Um, but Spotify, of course, is famous for not being very transparent in the way that they pay their artists and not paying their artists very much money. And we talked about this a little bit a week or two ago. So now we've got analysts who are hearing that Beats is going to come with the new iOS and they're saying listeners aren't going to pay $10 a month for a streaming service. And what I wonder is this. I pay $9 every month to Netflix and to Hulu every month and I don't think twice about it. Now, in the grand scheme of my family budget, $9 is not going to make or break us. That being said, 
I just think that that's a lot of value. And nobody says, I won't pay $9 for Netflix. No one fucking says, no, $9 is too much for Netflix. And as I was mentioning a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the Spotify issue, Netflix doesn't have everything. And Spotify and Beats are going to have not everything, but almost goddamn everything. So you'll pay $9 for Netflix and watch endless hours of House Hunters or the fucking Duggars, or you'll watch Breaking Bad for the 17th time, but you don't actually want to pay for your music. I mean, that's the theory of these people who are saying listeners won't pay $10 a month. They quoted one analyst, and he said that they thought that the average music listener's budget in a given year to pay for music was between $40 and $55. Now, I just spent 15 minutes going over the things I bought at a store in Grand Rapids. I spent $300 on records. On 15 records. I spent six times the amount of money they're talking about in one shopping trip than they're saying most people want to spend in an entire year. And what I find really hollow about that is that this figure for music purchases is at $40 to $55 a year, according to these studies that have been done. And these are the same people who routinely pay hundreds of dollars to get upgraded technology, like phones and tablets and laptops. And these are often only slight upgrades over something they got just a year or two ago. And then they're going to run around and they're going to listen to their shit and they're going to listen to it on these Beats headphones that are $200 and $250 each. And that if you listen to true audiophiles and you listen to people who actually know shit about the way stuff sounds and the way that things actually work sonically will tell you that these headphones are mediocre at best. Now, I'm not an expert on this, but I've read enough, and I've looked at enough, and I've listened to enough people talk about this to know that Beats headphones, by people who were in the know about sonic quality, know that Beats headphones are not a premium product in terms of the quality that they offer. And yet you're paying premium dollars. So you'll spend $200 on a pair of mediocre headphones, but you'll only spend $50 a year on music? What in the fuck is wrong with you? That is the cart driving the horse. Now, you can go out and get much better headphones for the same amount of money or less. And what has happened is that music has become the lowest rung on this totem pole of personal expression. Because we can just take this thing, we can zing it into our device, and therefore it goes right into our ears. And so, it isn't about the music anymore, it's the technology that surrounds it. That's the commodity, and that commodity is based almost solely on having a quasi-hip name brand set of headphones like Beats or somebody else. You gotta have a brand new device hooked up to that, like an iPad Air 2, or the iPhone 6, or the newest smartphone from Samsung, or whatever it is. But the problem is... If you're streaming shit music, it won't matter. If you're streaming good music and you're too fucking cheap to pay for it, that music is going to go away. We aren't rewarding people who make music. We're rewarding people who make gadgets to play music on. If you have a beautiful $10,000 stereo system set up in your house and you don't have any records to play on it, what the fuck is it doing there? And never mind the fact we aren't even talking about the fact that these digital files are by and large just a shadow of what a real music listening experience feels like. Even with, you know, mid-level speakers and a humble stereo setup, it's going to sound better than getting shoved through a tinny set of $200 headphones over a fucking phone. 
It's just ridiculous. We have sacrificed conven- we, excuse me, we have sacrificed music for convenience and the status of our devices. We're not using we're not using music to judge what we're actually listening to. We're we're judging it by how we heard it. What what little thing we heard it on. Not how we heard about it or what it means in the context of our culture. But that we're using we're using this thing to show off to people that we're listening to music and that that and that rubric of of what's hip is changing on an almost daily basis. There's no way to keep up with it. It's exhausting. And so it isn't about saying, I'm really excited about this band or I'm really excited about this music. I'm really excited about this device. Well, that's not, that's not music listening. Okay, that's just trying to fucking keep up with the Joneses. You know? And I realize that when we're here, we care more about music and that's why you're listening to a podcast about music. But this is a real concern. There's a forecast published in an article on the same subject in Quartz Magazine. And they're suggesting... That by the year 2020, 75% of the money, 75%, three quarters of the revenue generated in the music business will be generated by streaming by 2020. That is less than six years away. It's pretty goddamn close to five years away. Those dollar figures for streaming are expected to be in the neighborhood of 12 to $15 billion just for streaming. Now, I don't know how this jives with the $50 a year, but it doesn't make sense to me. What's really fascinating and kind of troubling is that that same forecast suggested in five years, in 2020, physical media will drop to less than 10% of where it was in just 2008. You're talking about a 12-year span where physical media sales are likely to drop 90%. 90%. That is shocking. I don't know what this means for the future of music. But what I do know is that right now, when we talk about music, and I, I'm guilty of this too, but this is what's happening. This is, this is stuff that, even though it may not directly relate to vinyl, cannot be denied. You can sit here and say, Matt, why are you talking about this particular thing this week? You're talking about streaming again. This is a vinyl show. Well, I opened the first 20 minutes, and I told you about all the records I bought, and now I'm telling you about this this thing that's happening in the world that even though we live in our own little bubble and vinyl is this great thing, it's still a niche market. It's still just a small segment of the population. It's not like everybody's going to wind up putting out records again like it's 1970-fucking-six, okay? You're not going to be able to walk into your local Ralph's or your Meyer or your Albertsons or your Kroger like you used to and, you know, pick up two or three records when you buy orange juice and milk and eggs, And I'm not even saying that that's necessarily what we want. But what I am saying is that, by and large, the vast majority of people, and more importantly, the vast majority of money being funneled toward music, is all going digital. And even though right now record production is having a renaissance and vinyl sales are on the rise again, it's only a blip on the radar. And I'm not saying that means it's going away. I'm saying in the grand scheme of things... It's still small potatoes. And I don't think we can turn our back on this stuff because it won't be long and it might be affecting what is actually available for us to buy on vinyl. What is actually out there for us to get in a physical format. 
And to extend upon this, the other really interesting piece of information that I heard this week that I thought was so fascinating is there's a great article in the Atlantic Monthly that came out a couple of days ago. It's called The Shazam Effect. And the idea behind this is that Derek Thompson wrote this article and did a bunch of research about how the app Shazam, which for those of you who don't know, is an app that you put on your smartphone. And what it will allow you to do is you hit a little, a little icon and you hold the phone up next to a speaker or in a place where you're hearing music. And after just a few seconds, under almost any circumstances, it will take that, that audio, it will translate that audio with an algorithm, and then it will say, this is the song and this is the artist. And what this is supposed to do is to give you an opportunity to go, hey, this is a pretty sweet number. I've never heard this before. What is it? And then you've got this and you can save it and there are even links to buy it um, digitally or even through a service like Amazon. And it, it, admittedly, it's pretty sweet. Um, if you hear something in a coffee shop or a bar or a restaurant or a bookstore, you can go, hey man, what is that? That's, that's fucking awesome. I want to know more about this. And my philosophy is anytime you can find out about new music that you love, that's going to, that's a good thing. But here's one of the things that's happening because it seems like, oh, sweet, this is a relationship between you and music you don't know about. And that's true. But it's also being used as a tool. It's being used through analytic data mining companies and record labels to try to figure out what the next hit is going to be. The best example that, that Thompson uses in his article is the Lord song Royals. And if you look at if you look at the Shazam data from when the Lord record and specifically the single Royals came out in her home country of New Zealand, you can watch the pings happen all over New Zealand, and then you can watch it eventually jump the gap to Sydney, spread its way across much of you know Sydney and then into uh Japan and then start to creep its way over to Europe and creep its way over to the US and kind of watch it slowly become a hit. In fact, Shazam and a couple of its analysts were able to actually pinpoint ahead of time the day that it would peak. And they were able to follow it around 3,000 cities in the US by using Shazam data to figure out exactly when this song was going to be number one. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily bad information for people to have, but Thompson posits this idea that now there are labels who are using this information to test songs as to whether or not they would be hits. There used to be this, and I don't even know if I would call it the good old days, but there used to be this point where there were record labels. And those record labels had A&R people, and what they would do is they would determine what song they thought was going to be a hit. And then they would turn around... And they would take that song and they would push it to radio. And in some cases, illegally, they would pay radio to play it and essentially make it a hit. Well, now, you could say that this is the democratization of pop music. And I don't necessarily know that that's a bad thing. However, I think one of the things that is happening with this, and Thompson mentions this in his article as well, is that you are getting a bunch of songs that sound the same. So you're getting a bunch of hits, and this has always been the case with Top 40 Radio. It's a pretty narrow, for the most part, pretty narrow window. You know what has the 
likelihood to be a number one hit, or you understand what some of the common ingredients are in that. But now what's happening is there's actual data, and there's a program, and there's a system whereby labels can figure out, okay, how do we track this? We can say, okay, this song is really hot in Houston. And then they can take that song, and they can move it over to Dallas, or Oklahoma City, or St. Louis, or Detroit, or Gainesville, uh, Florida, or wherever. And the point is, you can take these data points and these regional tests, and you can basically say, we're going to create a hit. And I, again, I don't know whether there's anything right or wrong with that, but I think that when you look at the Apple situation with, with the beat streaming service and being able to just essentially another thing that they can force feed us, and then provide us with... um. A, a, a service or an app like Shazam, and you can basically say, okay, we're going we're gonna to give you this thing and we're going to get this back, and that's a give and take. Um, and I think that that's, I think that that's a trade-off that we have to decide whether or not we're willing to make. But I think what's maybe even more important and more key is we need to be aware that when this data is coming in, that when this um, information is arriving, that we are essentially saying that when we democratize something, we are taking the tastemakers out of it. And sometimes, sorry, we're just not smart enough to make our own decisions. We are not intelligent enough to know everything that's out there. We are also living in a world where there is as much music at our access as there has ever been. And it is only, and tomorrow... There will be more because it's really easy for people to make music, to record it, to put it up online and to make it available for people, whether they're selling it or giving it away. And so to have this series of kind of coincidences and systems set up that help us to just drive down to having more and more repetitive hits. And again, I'm not listening to the radio. And my guess is if you're listening to this podcast, you're not listening to the radio. But the, these things are tangentially important to what we're talking about because they are driving where most of the money from music is going. And I think that this is an important thing that we need to keep an eye on as fans of vinyl, as fans of music that is not necessarily at the top of the financial food chain. And so I think it's, I think it's crucial that we pay attention to this and that we, that we stay aware of, of how this is working because while there's a great deal of freedom and democracy and access right now, we're also relying a great deal on getting this all through the exact same service, which is the internet. And I think that while net neutrality is not a conversation I want to have here, that that's another, that's another piece of the pie. And so I think that, that for me, there's maybe even more um, satisfaction in having this thing that is a person uh, th that is a totally personal experience of listening to vinyl in a room um with people that I care about and and for me that's a lot more fascinating and a lot more interesting than getting my stuff from beats or just listening to it because Shazam says I should listen to it so i, I again not necessarily specifically vinyl related but certainly very very important to the music industry and the way that we perceive things so on the blog, I just want to give you a couple of updates about what's going on. Again, the blog is waxandwainmusic.com. For those of you who have not had a chance to go over there yet, 
Um, we'd really like you to come visit. We're really proud of it. Um, I, I'm really, really pleased with the way that things are going. And um, I feel like we're really getting a system in place and there's a lot of really good content up there. And we have got all kinds of people lined up to help us out and do some guest contributions, which we will talk about in a couple of minutes. But right now, just a couple of quick updates. Number one, if you haven't been over, things kind of blew up this week with our 10 most overrated bands list. I've had a ton of readers, comments, tweets, emails. There's just been a ton of buzz. It's great. We love it. In fact, I've been so excited about it. I'm working on a list of underrated bands because I feel like the negativity of most overrated was very, very easy for me to write about because I was able to pick 10 bands who I think are just incredibly overvalued, even though some of them are good bands. Um, But I felt like there was a little bit of kind of a meh attitude with it. And so I kind of want to do the underrated thing. And the sad thing is, you know, negativity tends to draw some readers in. So we've seen a really big spike in the last few days since this thing went up on Tuesday. Um, But if you haven't had a chance to read it, I wholeheartedly encourage you to go over there and do this. I put a lot of work into it. I'm really proud of it and very excited. Um, I stand by my choices, but I understand that people take issue. If you agree or even more importantly, disagree, comment on the post, send me a tweet, send me an email, send me uh, whatever you want. Um, send me hate mail. I don't give a shit. I just want to hear from you. I want to know what you think. Uh, episode two of the radio hour is up. This is our themed radio show that we put up every week. It goes up every Monday. This past Monday, we did songs about and in reference to real people. So we threw up some songs from Serge Gainsbourg, John Cale, David Bowie, Van Morrison. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Um, there's a Bauhaus number in there. I'm sure you can figure out which one it is. There's, I think, 12 or 13 songs. There's a teenage fan club from the record I was talking about earlier about a dude who was in The Birds, who I love a great deal. Um, so you can go find that on iTunes, on Stitcher, or you can get it on the blog at Wax and Wayne music.com you can find that in the podcast section um and then finally the first edition of our primer segment is up this week this is a segment that we're going to do on a regular basis we're hoping weekly but since i'm relying on some contributors we're still working at an exact release um editorial schedule um my fantastic friend jeff gower um put together a 60 minute playlist a brief essay and a track by track um, notation for his 60-minute playlist um, all about the band the Jayhawks, why he loves them, how he came to love them, what particular musical itch they scratch, and why he thinks that other people should love them and why he thinks they should be a much bigger band than they actually are. Jeff did a fantastic job with this piece. I was so pleased and so excited to, A, get the primer thing off the ground and up and running, to have somebody's voice up here that isn't just mine, and to let... A really smart and and really knowledgeable guy who's been in bands, who has loved music and collected vinyl for a long, long time, to let him have a chance to kind of shine. And I think he just did a fantastic job. So you can go hear the songs and read Jeff's piece now at waxandwaynemusic.com in the primer section. And I, uh, I encourage you to go over there and take a look at it. We are actually soliciting your primer seg- segments. We want you to do an addition if you're interested, you can find me on Facebook, you can find me on Twitter, you can find me on the email or get through me, get a hold of me through the blog. Hit me up. Let me know who you want to cover, what songs you'd want to do. Give me some sample writing. If you're interested and we can work together, we'd love to have you be a part of it. Again, we're trying to fill a segment a week 
you know, and I can do some of these, but I really want to get other people involved. I've got lots of friends who are who are very very knowledgeable about music, who are really good writers, who are who are musicians, who who have bands they love. But I want to get new people involved too. I told you when we started this, I wanted it to be a community. So please get a hold of us, send me an email, get hold of me through the blog, whatever it takes. Um, we are going to take a quick little break, and we will be right back with the reissue wish list for this week. Stick around. I was in my shoes, I was in my coat, for a pair of chiefs spat down my throat, and a rack of lamb was a hook I've been, thick and cold and cram off each other's lips. Ignore the warning voice of my last appeal. I want the bones and I want her flesh, and it's all she'll give me. I want the rest. So we drink too much and we drink some more. We're to DNA, so to the floor. Ignore the warning voice of my last appeal. Hey, welcome back. I'm Matt Carlson. I'm your host of the Wax and Wayne podcast. Thanks again for joining us. That is a beautiful, beautiful song by the Pernice Brothers in 2010. Uh, from a record called Goodbye Killer, which, amazingly enough, somehow or another, has never appeared on vinyl. Now, this was a essentially a self-released record that came out on Ashmont Records, which is uh, Joe Pernice's label. Um, and this is a, a beautiful record that's been released digitally. It's been released on CD. Again, it's from 2010. And you may know the Pernice Brothers from some of their other fantastic records. Um, I'm particularly fond of a record called The World Won't End from 2001, but you may reckon, recognize other records like Discover a Lovely or You, Overcome by Happiness in Yours, Mine, and Ours. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is the most recent record in the Pernice Brothers canon, and I mentioned uh, Teenage Fan Club earlier in the show, and Joe Pernice has a relationship musically with uh, Norman Blake, who is the lead singer and songwriter for Teenage Fan Club. They have a project together uh, called The New Mendicants, which... Um, which actually uh, put out a record last year, which I think is really quite terrific. Um, so the Pernice brothers are Joe and his brother Bob and a series of side musicians. And, and the two brothers actually were a member of another... <clears throat> Again, I've got something stuck in my throat. I'm really sorry. No cough button here on the old wax cast, huh? Um, in any case, Joe Pernice was also involved in a, another project with his brother, um, two of them actually, one called Chappaquiddick Skyline and another one called Scud Mountain Boys, and those were more of a an alt-country kind of a thing. They they focused a lot more on roots music and a lot more on um, acoustic instruments and um, kind of a, I guess, an alt-country feel, kind of an Americana sort of thing. Whereas the, the Pernice Brothers records are really, and I think you can really hear from that first track, uh, Bechamel, which is actually the lead-off on Goodbye Killer. Um, 
I think the Pernice Brothers stuff is really more pop-based. You'll notice that there's some real kind of like um, some kind of 60s uh, Brit pop or even maybe Bird-style guitar lines in there um, that are kind of updated for the 21st century. Um, Joe Pernice has got this real kind of um, smooth, uh, warm, sweet uh, lead vocal. The harmonies are really nice. This is just a really lovely record, and I... As I, as I work on my underrated bands piece, um, which we mentioned earlier in the show, don't be surprised if these guys wind up on there. I don't understand how they're not really, really big. But then again, <clears throat> I don't understand all sorts of shit about the way that quote-unquote popular music works. But even in the world of like indie bands and Pitchfork and Stereo Gum and the blogosphere and all that stuff, I don't understand how... I don't understand how a band like the Pernice Brothers and a songwriter like Joe Pernice can be essentially like a second tier or a third tier guy. I don't understand how he's an also ran. Um, I don't see any reason that that Joe Pernice shouldn't be a guy that most fans of indie music just know, boom, right off the top of their head. And I think that you kind of have to get to an extra layer. You sort of have to, in, in George Costanza worlds, just keep peeling back that onion. <clears throat> That's a weird Seinfeld reference, wasn't it? Anyway, um... This is just a lovely, lovely record, and as much as I love the Pernice Brothers and and I love that new Mendicants record, I would say that Goodbye Killer probably is my favorite Joe Pernice work. Um, I just think that it's a really tight little, um, it's a, it's a, it's like a little bit over a half an hour. Um, the songs just flow really, really well together. There's a lot of stuff on there that seems like it's really personal but really universal. Um, it's just a it's a beautiful record. Um, you know, it was it was released uh, in 2010, essentially with a UK version and a US version on CD, and you can get it on iTunes. So please go give Joe Pernice some money if you like this. Go buy this digitally because it's the only way you can buy it. But I'd also like you to find the man himself on Twitter. Um, he's on there pretty frequently. Uh, look up Joe Pernice on Twitter. It's P-E-R-N-I-C-E. Find him and tell him that we'd really like it if somebody would put Goodbye Killer out on vinyl. And that the guy at the Wax and Wayne podcast said, listen, man, there's a bunch of vinyl nerds out there who want to pay $20 for a reissue of this because I would be lining up to do that shit. Um, <clears throat> I just think it's an absolutely gorgeous record, and I think it's totally underappreciated, and I think it's a goddamn shame. So that basically finishes up the week. We got a lot done today. Um, you, you put up with a whole lot of bullshit coming out of my mouth, which is not unusual. You've been doing this six weeks in a row. That's a month and a half. You know what next week is, kids? It's episode 007, so we're going to start the Bond jokes now. Um, get ready to hear new theme music with the Bond theme in there. I'm sure that the James Broccoli estate is going to come after my ass. Um, again, come and find us on the inner tubes. We love hearing from you. If you are finding us on iTunes, I implore you and beg you and ask wholeheartedly with a plea, give us a review. Several of you have done this already. We've got like six reviews in the last couple weeks. Um, it, it's amazing how much it helps. It helps us to get our podcast in front of the eyes and in the holes of the ears of other people who like podcasts about music and who are into vinyl records. Share this with your friends. Turn them on to this. Please go check out the top 10 most overrated bands post. That thing is blowing up, and we're really happy about it. But we want to hear actual feedback from you, our listeners on the podcast. 
If we don't know that you're listening to the podcast and you're telling us something on the blog, it's hard to put two and two together. We're not that good at math anyway, but you need to help us with this particular story problem. That was a super lame middle school analogy. My apologies. Find us online. It's waxandwaynemusic.com. Email address is waxed, as in the past tense of wax, like what a moon did. Not does, that would be wax. Did would be waxed, W-A-X-E-D, and the word waned, W-A-N-E-D, at gmail.com. We've sold our soul to Google for our email service. Speaking of email services, on the website, in the right-hand column, you're going to notice a little button where you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Every week, at the beginning of the week, we are going to send out a recap of what happened the week before. Stuff from the radio hour, stuff from the podcast, interesting stuff in the world of music, vinyl, and and such. It's also going to be some stuff from the blog and some things that we're excited about, links that we find that we don't necessarily put up on the blog, a lot of stuff that's really, really good that you may not see anywhere else that just comes to you in the form of an email. So please, come and find us. Um, again, the website is waxandwaynemusic.com. I know I went over this like three times. I apologize, but I keep interrupting myself. Find us on Facebook, waxandwaynemusic.com. Just search for that. Um, excuse me, Wax and Wayne Music on Facebook. Um, at Wax and Wayne Music on Twitter. And of course, you can find us on iTunes. And you can find us on Stitcher and listen to us there as well. We're going to go out with another one from the Pernice Brothers. Um, this is a particular favorite of mine. Uh, this is a slower number about life on the road as a uh, quasi-successful rock and roll band called We Love the Stage. It's the Pernice Brothers from 2010's Goodbye Killer. I have been Matt Carlson, your host of the Wax and Wayne podcast. I can't wait to see you again next week for both the radio hour stay tuned for the theme on that one on monday and then next friday we'll be back again with another episode of the wax and wayne podcast until then keep listening and we'll see you on the flip side i nearly drowned in my motel room floor but even so we made sound check by four when love is true our parties have to be so true It doesn't matter if the crowd is thin We sing to six the way we sing to ten We like the way an intro four count sounds near three We even like the smart-ass kids who shout out Free bird in my face But love is love and we love the stay Said home makes me free I chose this life This life chose me My boy thinks I'm his uncle There's a dog who never Knew my smell It's just as well We open up for some Welsh singer Who in the 80s Was the rage Cause love is love And we love the stage It's a gas to say